Hey, Church Home. Happy Sunday. Have you ever gotten the look from somebody? Do you know what I mean? The look, by the way. Welcome to Church Home. This is my home office. Uh, I am here alone in my office with an iPhone recording this in this awesome, happy Sunday. Have you ever got the look? Do you know what I'm talking about? The look from a parental figure, the look from your coach, the look from your uncle, the look from your grandfather at the family reunion, you know, the look, the one that says, what are you thinking about? What are you doing? It's the gaze, right? And as a dad, um, I use the gaze with my kids. I don't know. You're never taught the gaze. You don't go to a gaze seminar where you learn how to gaze at someone and give them nonverbals, right? It's just kind of built into our hardware. And let me tell you, when you become a parent, it is, uh, it's essential, right? I utilize it all the time. I'll look at my kids and be like, right? And nothing needs to be said at dinner. It is already said. You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have said that. We're going to talk later. Go ahead and think about it. You're in trouble. I'm disappointed that you said that. You know better. That's not who you are. Those are a few things that my gaze is saying to my kids. I remember my dad. Um, but we go, we, we went out to Red Robin so many times. We went out to cafes and diners over the years growing up, being a pastor's kids, late night, dad just preached somewhere and you're somewhere like Oklahoma or Missouri or Texas or Florida and Boston and you're with your dad and we traveled for so many years. My dad was a traveling preacher and we'd be having dinner somewhere and I'd be so tired and I'd say something, you know, my eight, nine, 10 year old self, dad, I'm so bored. And here came the look. Right. It's that look like, oh, right. And it was like, oh, when we get back to the motel, when we get back to the house, when we get back to the hotel, I'm in big trouble. Right. Like the look Jesus on failure. That's my type. That's that's my topic. That's my title today. Jesus on failure. I wonder if in the midst of your failure, what the look on God's face must be be? That's an interesting question, isn't it? When you fail, when I fail, when we, when God knows we're going to fail before we fail, what's the look on his face? What's his countenance saying to you and to me? Here's the reality of where we are in this historic moment in the history of the United States of America. And frankly, a historic moment for most countries and continents around the world. As we are standing in solidarity with black men and women, boys and girls in the United States of America for true equality, for true justice, for true equity, I will assure you there are going to be some failures. Particularly as I think about being a Caucasian man, a white man in the United States of America, a white preacher and my lack of education, my lack of exposure in understanding true American history and specifically understanding the pain of African-American men and women, boys and girls in this country for 450 years. This is a moment. I believe it's a sovereign moment. I believe that God wants to deal with the sin of racism in our own hearts. I can only imagine 
what it must be like where you live and where you are right now. It is exhilarating. It is exciting. I am so excited about what things could look like in our countries, what things could look like in our systems and our policies and our governments, our judicial system, our educational system, our governmental systems, all of these things, our economics, all of this needs to be addressed, needs to be assessed and changed and rebuilt and redone. And in all of this, I believe God is in charge. But there will be failure. There will be. It is a long road ahead. By saying there will be failure, by saying there will be weaknesses, by saying that there will be attempts made for healing, which might even bring more hurt, doesn't mean that it's okay. Doesn't mean there doesn't need to be onus and ownership and for us to own our own ignorance and our own weaknesses and shortcomings in this fight against racism. But I'm going to tell you, church, on what we're going to need for the long road ahead is hope. What we're going to need for the long road ahead is a sense that God is with us and he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He's proud of us and he's going to give us the energy and the strength we're going to need to become the church that looks like heaven. Where the Bible says heaven will be filled with every tribe and every tongue and every kindred, every ethnicity that makes up the beautiful portrait of our creator in the universe. But I'll say it again there will be failure. I think of right now where things stand. I think about Breonna Taylor, a woman, an innocent woman who was shot multiple times to death in her own home only to discover it was a grave and horrific mistake by the police force. To date, no, no investigation has been done towards the officers who shot and killed the wrong person in their home. It's moments like these where there is disappointment, failure, if you will. How can more justice not be served? How can we not be further along? And here comes that feeling of failure. Here comes that feeling of loss. Or maybe you're of another ethnicity. Maybe you hear that the lives of black men and women, boys and girls matter. And what you hear is my life matters less. Of course, that's not the message. That's not the mandate. That's not the mission. The passion is that black men and women, boys and girls in this country and every country on every continent, every part of the world would be treated as equals to every other ethnicity in every facet of society and institution and world and culture. Black lives matter to Jesus and they must matter as much as every other life in this country and around the world. But even now, there's profound feelings of failure. We wonder Will I lose in this new lifestyle? Some call it a movement, um, but I like to call it a lifestyle. This lifestyle of justice. Will I lose? Have we already lost? Will we ever see change? 
Will the change change everything for you? Are you afraid? Are you worried? Do you feel like already there's been loss and there's been failure? What does Jesus say about failure? What does Jesus say about shortcomings and weaknesses? What, is, what, would, what would the face of God look like towards you in the middle of your failure? What if there was a way for us to know? What if there was a way for us to know exactly what the face of God looks like right now, no matter where you are right now in this extraordinary defining historic moment in the world, if you are feeling a sense of loss and failure and discouragement, I wonder what the face of God towards you would look like right this very second. And that leads me to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, we won't get into it. You can look at it for yourself. We'll start the particular portion of scripture that we're going to reference is found in Luke 60, Luke 22 and verse 61. But let me give you just a little synopsis of what happens. Jesus is hours away from hanging on a hill called Golgotha between two criminals. Before he, this happens, on the very same night, he tells Peter in Luke chapter 22, he says, Peter, Peter, one of the 12 disciples, probably the only one of the 12 who's over 21 years old. He is the, the big brother of the 12 guys that rolled with Jesus for the three and a half years he did ministry in the Middle East and worked miracles, signs and wonders and phenomenons that we have still seen today. Uh, no man do or woman what Jesus did and does. Moments before he goes on the cross, he has this extraordinary conversation with Peter and he says this, Peter, before this night is all said and done, before the rooster itself crows for the morning sunrise, you are going to one, two, three times tell people you don't know me, deny me, walk away and pretend like we don't even know each other. And Peter revolts in Luke 22 and he says, I would never do that. I would never do that. Are you like me before the fight, before the heat's turned up, before it's actually happening? Do you have an overestimation of yourself? Are you like me in this whole process when all of a sudden the conscience of our country was awakened to the true, deep-seated, systematic prejudice, oppression, and racism in our country? Were you like me? Did you wake up and think to yourself as the fight begun? Did you think to yourself, well, I'm glad I'm not a racist. I'm glad I have friends of different ethnicities, specifically black friends. I would never do that. I would never. Are you, are you, are you like that? I know I am just like Peter before the heat's turned up before the fight's really happening. Oh, I, I assess myself and I said, I'm a winner. I'm not going to lose. I'm with you. Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you want to go. Maybe you're like me. You grew up going to camps and conferences and conventions and advances and retreats. And you always told Jesus, I'll always be there for you. I'll always follow you. I'll go wherever you want me to go. And suddenly God wants us to go down this road called racism. This road called Preference, prejudice, bias, conscious, subconscious, huh? loving your neighbor. What does this mean? Being your brother's keeper. It all sounds like, Jesus, I want to follow you, but not down the racism road. Don't, don't 
take me down racism road. I don't want to go there. But at the outset of these paths that Jesus wants to take his church on, his followers on, I think we're all like, I'm good. Glad I'm not like that. I, I got this. And Jesus says, no, you don't. It's going to happen. Sure enough, hours later, the first time, Peter says, some junior high girl by a bonfire goes, hey. And he goes, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't know him. Another person says, wait a minute. No, you are a Galilean. I can tell by your accent. And Peter's like, no, that's not, I don't have an accent. What are you talking about? And then thirdly and finally, Luke chapter 22, we start to move towards verse 60. And it happens again. Peter, someone says, hey, weren't you? And he goes, I'm telling you, I don't know what you're talking about. And he actually starts to use curse words. Cussing his way to total denial of the man he said he would die for hours before. Isn't the human condition fickle? Aren't we funny? I mean, give us a few hours and we will go from I am on top of the world and I'll die for Jesus and considering contrary conditions and if bad enough, we will change our story in a New York second. Aren't we funny? And the Bible says in Luke 22 and verse 61, at that moment, the Lord, who was being led to the courtyard by his captors, turned around and gazed at Peter. He looked at Peter all at once. Peter saw him looking at him and he remembered the words that Jesus had prophesied before the rooster crows in the morning. You'll deny me three times that you even know me. So here's the question. Here's the question. I'm almost done and it's only been 14 minutes. Think about it. This is incredible. What did his face look like? Isn't that the question today? What did the face of Jesus look like as he looked at Peter? During Peter's lowest moment in his entire existence. What did Jesus look like? Is his gaze like my dad's? Is his gaze like your coach? Is his gaze like your gaze to your kids? What's his gaze like? Was this Jesus to Peter after Peter finally did what Jesus told him he would do? He would deny him not once, not twice, but three times. Did God go something? Did Jesus go something like this to Peter? Was that his face? Was it? Peter, hey! Well, it couldn't be. It couldn't be. God doesn't use shame. God doesn't manipulate. So what was his face? What was his gaze? What did it say? What was his message to Peter? Why would he even look at Peter during that exact moment? Isn't he amazing? Isn't Jesus amazing? While Jesus is paying the penalty for our error, wrong, and our sin, he still is so sensitive, kind, considerate, and selfless, and perfect that even while he's being beaten, he has his eyes on you and me. He has his eyes on us. Do you know the Bible says that God will never leave you nor forsake you? Do you know Psalm 67 talks about that God would cause his face to shine upon us? One translation says causing his face to shine upon us literally means that his face would shine with us. In other words, when his face shines on us, our face shines and our face shines when God's faces shine. In other words, when he's smiling at us, we feel like we can conquer the world. 
Could it be that the gaze of Jesus in Peter's lowest moment was a gaze of acceptance, a gaze of approval, a gaze of I will never let you go. Here's three things. I believe with all of my heart that the gaze of Jesus communicates to Peter in his failure. And that gaze, that look at Peter is the same look I get and the same look you get even in our failure. And even if our failure is bias and prejudice and racism and bigotry, it is silent condonement of systematic racism. Whatever our failure is, what does Jesus' face look like in the middle of our weaknesses, shortcomings, losings, and failures. Well, the same way Jesus looked at Peter, he looks at you and me. And you know what that gaze says? Number one, that gaze says, I will not look away. I will not look away. What do you and I do when we fail? What do you and I do when we lose? Tell me the athlete right now who when they lose the biggest game of their career, that this is how they look at the end of the game. Hey, how are you? Right? No one does that. What's the look of an athlete after they lose the big game? After they fail? What's the look? Isn't it amazing? Inherently in our human condition, we know when we fail, don't make eye contact. When we fail, how do we universally all know you drop your head? When you fail, you look away. What is that? It's shame. It's guilt. It's disappointment. It's am I going to be rejected? And will I still be approved? Will I still be loved? I failed I'm not who I thought I was. I'm not who people thought I was. I'm not the great Peter the Apostle. I swore up and down that I would never leave Jesus and I would always be there. But now, three times in a row, on the same night, a few hours ago, I swore my allegiance and now I'm totally denying him. And he just looked at me. Why did he look at me? Because he's saying, Peter, even though you look away from me, I will not look away from you. I got good news for you. In your failure, if you feel like walking away from Jesus, that is natural and normal. But I got news for you. He doesn't feel like walking away from you. He's not going to give up on you. He's not going to leave you. Can you start to figure out why we're so passionate at church home to say if there is any man, woman, boy and girl who does not receive justice, who is overlooked, who is demeaned, who is treated as less than and who is systematically marginalized by policies and systems instituted in our country for hundreds of years. Can you see how our gospel, our news, our Jesus, our savior, our master implores us to stand up and say we will not look away? Why will we not look away, Breonna Taylor? Why will we not look away, George Floyd? Say that. Why will we not look away from your untimely murder and death? Why will we not look away? Because Jesus does not look away. God does not look away. He watches intently over our life. In our pain, in our problems, in our loss, in our weaknesses, in our failures, when we do things to ourselves to hurt ourselves and others, when we are our own worst enemy, he does not condemn us. He does not leave us and he will not look away. We live in a culture today where we are told basically to 
um, coexist, we have to look away. We cannot actually see what's happening. But truth doesn't look away. Truth doesn't. A, 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 a fake form of peace and truth looks away and coexists. No, the Bible says we speak truth in love. So truth is always motivated by love. And yet, nonetheless, there is truth. So the truth is racism is a sin. The truth is lying and cheating is a sin. The truth is lust can be a sin. The truth is, right, these things are sins and God does not wink at sin. God does not look away at sin. God sees our sin and he pays for our sin. So we're not defined by our sin. And instead of focusing on our sin and ourselves, we lift up our eyes, live beyond ourselves. And though we are weak, then we are strong and his power strengthens us to continue to move forward. Though a righteous man, a righteous man fell seven times, falls seven, he will rise again. The reason the proverb says the righteous man will fall seven times, seven is the number of perfection. It literally means though a man who or woman who is right with God, though they perfectly fail, though they completely fail, they can get up again. Where is God? What's Jesus' take on your failure? His countenance towards you is telling you right now, I will not look away. The second thing his countenance is telling you is I will take the judgment. I will take the penalty. I will pay the price. Put it on me. Let me have it. Let me have your burden. Let me have your sin. Let me have your pain. Let me have your shortcomings. Let me have your ignorance. Let me have your lack of exposure. Let me have your selfishness. Let me have your limited worldview. Let me have your fear. Let me have your unsettledness. Let me have your discouragement. Let me have your uncertainty. Let me have your debates. Let me have your opinions. Let me have your political persuasion. Let me have it. Let me have it. Let me have it. Hate. It's far too great of a burden for man to bear. Hate has to be given to God. He says, I'll take it. I'll take it. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus became your sin. He became all the air wrong and selfishness that would ever be committed. He became it, physically took it upon himself. His body was judged. All the air, the wrong and the sin was put on Jesus. God is so perfect and holy. He cannot coexist with sinful man. And so God became sin. He paid the ultimate price in a rich man's grave. Just like he predicted time and time again, he rose again on the third day to prove he has the power over death, hell, and the grave. He's the most powerful force in the universe, the most powerful person in the universe. He levitated in the sky. He said, I won't leave you alone. I'll give you my spirit. I'll put you in, I'll put it in your heart and you will be forgiven forever. The last words Jesus said while hanging on the cross for some six hours before the earth shook and the curtain in the temple was torn and the sky went dark. Jesus said this, it's finished. What's finished? Your death sentence is finished. The death sentence of sin is finished for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. But I'm telling you, God has made a way. Sin does not define us. Racism will not define us. Bigotry will not define us. Division will not define us. Opinions will not define us. Father will not define us. Our God will define us. Our 
king will define us. Our savior will define us. Our superhero will define us. What does the gaze of Jesus to Peter say to Peter? Whatever it says to Peter, it says to you and it says to me. It says, I won't look away. It says, I will take the judgment. And lastly, it says, I know you better than you know yourself. I know you better than you know yourself. You ever felt the need to be heard? You ever felt the need to be seen? You ever felt the need to be recognized, acknowledged, even celebrated just as a fellow human being on the planet? I'm telling you, there is at least one person in the universe. His name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And I'm telling you, he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows everything you're going to do. He knows everything you've done. He knows everything you're doing. He is the forever one. He is the eternal one. He is the all-knowing one. He knows everything about your life. He knows you better than you know yourself. Do you know what God's not surprised? He's not surprised by your racism. He's not surprised by your shortcomings. He's not surprised by your sin. He's not surprised by your selfishness. He chose you and he loves you and he knew all the dumb things you and I would do, but he chooses us and he loves us and he accepts us because he has paid the price for our error, our wrong, and our sin. Oftentimes people ask, why did Jesus have to die? Well, because we would have if he didn't. He said, well, Judah, we're still going to die. Yeah, but we were always, we were never meant for death. We were meant for eternity. We were meant to live forever. And so what Jesus did is Jesus ensured that we would not have to die for our error, our wrong, and our selfishness. Now, the reason we would die from our error, our wrong, and our selfishness is because the penalty, the wages of sin is death. You have to die to pay for your your error, your wrong, and your selfishness. That is the way the system, that is the way the world's been set up. So God answering his own system that he set in motion that also has free will and sovereignty coexisting in an intersection called earth. He said, listen, I will do the death part so they can have the life part. So though we die in this place called time and space, we live forever in eternity because of Jesus. Have you lost? Have you failed? What's Jesus take on your failure? He knew. He already knew. None of this is surprising. August 2020 is not a surprise to Jesus. Please hear the words of Jesus. I will not look away. I will take your judgment and I know you better then you know yourself. Oh God, may we pray the prayer of Psalm 67. God, cause your face to shine on us. What that literally means in Psalm 67 and verse one, it literally means when your face shines on me, my face shines. We are gonna need a face that shines with the unearned, unmerited gift of the person of Jesus. That is gonna give us the energy and strength we're gonna need for the long road of healing and justice ahead. I know you better than you know yourself. One translation of Psalm 67, it literally means, God, would you smile on me? And of course, the response now we have because of Jesus, you are right with God. Again, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, you're righteous. 
So the only look on God's face towards you is love. (laughs) It's approval. It's acceptance. It's grace and mercy. So wherever you are right now, God has no plans to leave you there. He looked at Peter because he had plans for Peter in the future. And he wanted Peter to see his face so Peter could be who God had made him to be. That's Jesus on your failure. God, I thank you for the minutes and moments we share. Thank you for what you're doing, what you're saying. I love you, Jesus. God, I pray for the digital meetup. I pray for music segment of our service. I pray you meet people, encounter people, and change us. If you're here right now and you say, Judah, I'd like to become a follower of Jesus, it's free. (laughs) It's free. If you'd like to receive the forgiveness that only Jesus offers, just lift up your hand right now, wherever you are, in your office, in your living room, in your bedroom, in your condo, in a public park, in a uh, dorm somewhere, wherever you are right now. God, you see every accepting, believing heart. And I thank you they are forgiven forever. It's that good. Love you, church home. Pray with all of my heart that you would see the face of Jesus towards you today.